0: Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah with Lionel Lamb Ministries. Welcome to our program. We are in a series called Messianic Teachings for Christians, and we've had several programs that we've done before. We're coming toward the conclusion of it. And again, what we're doing is I'm trying to share with my Christian friends some of the differences about what we Messianic believers actually believe and what we believe the Bible is saying that differs slightly from what the normal evangelical Christian has been taught and what you know. The idea is not to render judgment to any of you. It's simply to explain what the differences are and appeal to, in sorting out the differences we have, maybe we should focus on what the Lord says about a particular topic as opposed to what men say to us about it. The average Christian would make a similar statement to that. They would say, for example, we want to do what the Bible says, what God says, not necessarily what others would say and do. And we agree with that principle. So part of what our program is about is, well, let's go see what the Lord actually has had to say. The last topic that I'm sharing with you has to do with eschatology it has to do with the study of the end times. And as I ended on the last program with you, I said, I'm gonna share with you now the messianic teaching of how we see eschatology, how we see the end of the age. It does differ from what most of you in the church have been told. So I'm gonna take you to a very profound piece of scripture. You probably didn't realize this was prophetic, But let me read it to you, and immediately I think you're going to have the question, how do you get prophecy out of that? I'm reading from that incredible prophetic book, the book of Leviticus. Beginning in chapter 23, at verse 23, it says the following, Again the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first of the month, you shall have a rest, a reminder by blowing of trumpets a holy convocation you shall not do any laborious work but you shall present an offering by fire to the lord and the lord spoke to moses saying exactly on the 10th day of the 7th month is the day of atonement it shall be a holy convocation for you and you shall humble your souls and present an offering by fire to the lord You shall not do any work on that same day, for it is a day of atonement, to make atonement on your behalf before the Lord your God. If there is any person who will not humble himself on that same day, he shall be cut off from his people. As for any person who does any work on this same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall not do work at all. It is a perpetual statute throughout your generations in all of your dwellings. It is to be a Sabbath of complete rest to you, and you shall humble your souls, and on the ninth of the month at evening, from evening until evening, you shall keep your Sabbath. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth of this seventh month is the Feast of Booths for seven days to the Lord. On the first day is a holy convocation. You shall do no labor's work of any kind. For seven days you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord, and on the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation and present an offering by fire to the Lord. It is an assembly. You shall not do any labor's work." These are the appointed times of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations to present offerings by fire to the Lord, burnt offerings and grain offerings and sacrifices and drink offerings, and each day's matter on its own day. Now, this is actually the instruction in the Torah for certain appointed times. It explains three holidays, they all come in the fall in the Hebrew month of Tishri, the seventh month of the Hebrew calendar. First, there's going to be a day of trumpets. You're going to sound trumpets and have a solemn assembly. Secondly, on the 10th of the month, you're going to have the Day of Atonement. You will fast on that day. And then on the 15th, and extending for some eight days, you're going to have the Feast of Tabernacles, the season of joy. You're going to rejoice before the Lord. Now, whether you realize it or not, that is the end-time prophecy prophetic event that's going to take place. Why? Well, you see, it turns out that when the Messiah came the first time, he came and fulfilled the appointed times of the springtime. When the Messiah came, he did the one called Passover. He did the one called the Feast of Unleavened. He did the one called the Feast of Fruits. and the Holy Spirit was given at the Feast of Weeks, what you call Pentecost, the Messiah's first coming came and fulfilled those precisely. When the Messiah comes the second time, he's going to come and precisely fulfill these fall feasts. Now, if you're like most Christians, as opposed to messianics, you don't observe these feasts. You don't keep the Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you you don't see in the Gospels the importance of why Yeshua kept the Passover, how he was fulfilling the prophetic scenario of the two comings of the Messiah, and that he did the first one with the Passover. You don't see the prophetic coming of the second coming with trumpets and with atonement and with tabernacles, because you've not been taught that you don't observe those feasts you don't keep the feasts of the lord so you have no idea that's a prophetic scenario but that is the primary prophetic scenario for messianics he has come the first time and done the work of redemption he's going to come again and do the work of restoration and oh by the way when he comes and i'm sure you've heard this there's going to be a big trumpet blast and that will be the resurrection we who are alive will be caught up together with him. That'll be the fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets. Then there's gonna be a day of the Lord, a day of God's wrath, and God's gonna pour out his wrath on mankind, those that don't know him, the day of atonement. Then he's gonna touch his toe down on the Mount of Olives. We're gonna go there to Jerusalem and be with him. We're gonna have a celebration of rejoicing with the coming of the Lord. Every year when we keep the Fall Feast, trumpets, we're reminded of what the sound of that trumpet is and what it means. We fast on the Day of Atonement. We know there's a day coming when God will be reconciled to this world and all his enemies will be gone. There's no reason for us to rejoice that God has to judge anybody. Then we observe the Feast of Tabernacles. We come, we have a wonderful time together, we're all gathered together in our sukkahs, and we practice being in Jerusalem when the Messiah returns to the earth. Now there is a resurrection and there is a rapture that takes place. That's at the Feast of Trumpets. But you will note that's the great plan that we have Now, do you hear that when you hear evangelicals talk about eschatology and about the end time prophecies? No, they don't talk about that in that way. Oh yeah, they talk about the rapture. They forget there's a resurrection that goes with it, but they talk about the rapture and it's all about the church. It's all about the church is going to be raptured. We're gonna get out of here and we're not gonna be here for the tribulation and all that kind of things. Let me just give you a couple of principles that you've been taught that Messianics don't agree with. Christians expect the rapture, the pre-trib rapture. They think all the end time prophecies are focused on the church. They do not identify with Israel and they think the prophecies about Israel do not apply to them. Now, in the course of this program, I've been sharing with you folks, God's purpose with Israel was for the benefit of the whole world, including all of you Gentile believers. Abraham was called by God. God told Abraham that the promises he was making to him was to him and to his descendants. And by the way, when you become a believer in Yeshua the Messiah, you become one of the descendants of Abraham. Those promises and all those blessings belong to you. Then, as Israel was established, that they were established to be a light to the nations, that there would be this organization, this national interest that would bring forth the Messiah, illustrate him as a king, as a redeemer, as a savior, to the benefit of the whole world. Instead, we have teachers that go, well, God was doing all that stuff with Abraham and with Israel, But he stopped doing that and he started something completely new when he came along with the Messiah. In fact, they call it the New Covenant. The New Covenant clearly says that it was prophesied to be given to the house of Judah and the house of Israel. It's not a departure from Israel, it's part of the fulfillment of what God promised to do with Israel, it's part of the fullness of what God came to do. God brethren, is focused on Israel and bringing as many believers together from other nations as he can possibly do so. Let me remind you of the Great Commission. This is what the Messiah said as he got ready to ascend into heaven back to his Father. This is what he said to the apostles. Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There's a statement about eschatology there, even to the end of the ages. And he says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. This program has been sharing with you that the Messiah came teaching the Torah. He came teaching the same commandments that his father and he gave from Mount Sinai. He's saying in the Great Commission, take this word to all the peoples of the world, all you Gentiles, the gospel, the good news to you. Take it out to him and teach you not only to believe in Yeshua, but to keep all the commandments that he had given teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. We have lots of people who claim the Great Commission, who claim to follow it. They skip that part. I was in the church for many years. We would go out, share the gospel. We didn't tell people to obey the Lord. We certainly didn't send them off to Mount Sinai to hear what God had commanded. Now, some kind of figured out, I guess we should do some of those. But let's stop and think. Is the main teaching about the second coming and about what the Messiah is doing, was it come to bring you Gentile believers into part of what God's doing with Israel? Or have they told you, oh no, God set Israel aside, we're gonna do something with the church. It's the latter that you've been told. And that's what we've been talking about here. I wanna take you back to the Apostle Paul who was the apostle to the Gentiles, you know, he has that title, and his ministry. And he talks about how God's purpose has always been to bring you Gentile believers into to be part of Israel. In Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, he talks about Israel, the remnant of Israel, and about what God's doing with the Gentiles. And he's talking about them, you're all being brought in, that your wild branches is being grafted into the same tree called Israel. You're not something separate. You're to be included in all the blessings and the promises that were given to Israel. You're to be part of the future kingdom with Israel. Let me repeat to you what Paul specifically said in Romans 9 about this business of Gentiles being joined with the Jewish people, and with Israel. Romans 9 verse 24, even us whom he's called, not from among the Jews only, but also from among the Gentiles. And he quotes a prophet of Israel. Romans 9 25 says, and he also says in Hosea, I will call those who were not my people, my people. And her who was not beloved, beloved. do you think Paul's talking about? Who do you think Hosea's talking about? I'm going to call people that weren't originally called my people. Now, Israel was originally called his people. In fact, at Mount Sinai, God made the offer to Israel, I will be your God if you'll be my people. That's the marriage. He is saying here, the prophet Hosea is saying, the day's coming when we're gonna take the message that was given to Israel, we're gonna go out to the nations. We're gonna go out to other peoples. People who weren't called his people will be called his people. People who were not beloved of God will be beloved of God. That's a whole gospel ministry. Here's Paul doing it. He said, that's what we're doing. We're taking the message of the Messiah out to the Gentiles. Verse 26, and it shall be in that place where it is said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called the sons of the living God that's a very Christian expression brethren we are the sons of the living God when we believe in the son of God here's Hosea the prophet prophesying from Israel that this is what God is going to do with Israel to bring all these Gentiles in Paul's quoting that's his authority by the word of God to go out and minister to you Gentile believers He quotes again from Isaiah, verse 27. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be like the sand of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved. And by the way, when you're a Gentile believer and you become a believer in Yeshua, the God of Israel, you become part of the remnant of Israel. You're the believing part. You're joined into Israel, which is the kingdom. At no time is he using the word church, is he? Where did we get this word church? We got it because it's a Greek word. When we translated it out of the Greek into the English Bible, we didn't want to use the same words the Jews were using. The Jews were using when they had their assemblies. They called them congregations, assemblies, and sometimes called synagogues. Wow, well, we don't want to use those words. So let's take the same Greek word, which means assembly or congregation, and let's make a new English word for it, and we'll call the word church. That's where the word came from. It's a made-up word so that we don't have to use the same word that Israel and the Jews are using. However, the Greek word betrays them. The Greek word ekklesia means the called out assembly now for the church as christians go to church the called out assembly you've been called out from the world you've been called out from your sins the messiah has called you out to become part of him well that's the same meaning of what happened to israel when they were called out of egypt and in fact in the greek septuagint the word ecclesia is the greek word that's used to refer to israel coming out of egypt And in fact, in the old King James Bible, Acts chapter seven, Stephen in his defense of the faith referred to Israel coming out of Egypt. Are you ready for this? As the church in the wilderness, the word church in the wilderness referring to Israel. We have been stereotyped into thinking the word church is something completely different from Israel. That's not the way the Bible reads. The Bible says that all of Israel, the remnant of Israel is the called out assembly. They're the ones that believe in the God of Israel, the God of creation. They believe in the Messiah. If you believe in the God of creation, you believe in the Messiah, you believe in those things, then you're part of the church. You're part of the called out assembly, which is the same definition for Israel that believes in him. You're part of Israel. Israel's part of you. Now I know that's not what you've been told, can you understand the implication this issue is for end time prophecy? Because most of the end time prophecies, virtually all of them, deals with Israel. Book of Revelation all deals with Israel. The book of Daniel all deals with Israel. All of Moses and the prophets, they all deal with Israel, and they all talk about the end times. But. The church likes to selectively pick a couple of verses, and they make that about them. The whole story they make is, oh, we're not gonna be around with Israel in those days when those things happen. We're gonna get raptured out of here, because we know for sure Israel is going to have to go through the Great Tribulation. Now, let's go and look at specifically what the Messiah said when he was asked the question, what will be the sign at the end of the ages? What will be the sign that will tell us you're about to come? This is an event that took place on the Mount of Olives. it's called the Olivet Discourse for Teachers that like to teach it, it comes from Matthew 24. And I want to read this passage to you and give you some explanation. I want you to pay attention now Lay down everything you've been told before. Just listen to the conversation between the disciples and the Messiah, and let's see if any of that applies to you. Matthew 24, beginning of verse 1. Yeshua came out of the temple, was going away when his disciples came up to the point out of the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly, I say to you, not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. And what was happening was that Yeshua and the disciples, they were walking out of the temple. They were crossing over to the Mount of Olives. They were on what was called the Kidron Bridge, the Priestly Bridge. And they happened to look up and behind them and they saw the gold that was up at the top of the crown of the temple in Jerusalem. And they were admiring it, how beautiful it was. And Yeshua said something very serious to him. He says, I'm telling you, not a stone will be left on another very soon. Now, to a Jew, to a Jewish person, that's got to be the end of the world. God would never allow the temple to suffer such destruction unless it's the end of the world, and that's what they're thinking. They're now sitting on the Mount of Olives, verse 3, and this is what happened. And as he was sitting on the mount of olives the disciples came to him privately saying tell us when will all these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age see they're lumping it all together they're thinking what he was referring to must be the end of the age but in truth of fact what he had spoken about was something that was going to be happening very soon in 70 a.d he was actually making a comment about the destruction of Jerusalem that would come when the Romans would lay siege to Jerusalem. They thought he was talking about the end of the age. So what they did was they keyed off of that initial thought and they said, answer the question for us, what will be the sign of the end of the age? So Yeshua now begins to answer that question. He says, verse four, then Yeshua answered and said to them, see to it that no one misleads you. I want you to take note of that. Before we go any further, I want you to know that the Messiah warned you on the subject of the end times, there will be people misleading you. And I submit to you that right now today, as we said, most believers in the Messiah are absolutely misled as to what is getting ready to happen at the end of the ages. They have no idea what's getting ready to happen. First thing he said, See to it, nobody misleads you on this. We should be on our guard. We should be paying very close attention to what he says, as opposed to just reading paperback prophecy books and listening to all different kinds of teachers all talk about what's gonna happen in the end times. Let's go back and find out what the Messiah, how he answered this question. Follow along with me. Verse five, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah and will mislead many. And you'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you're not frightened, for these things must take place. But that is not yet the end. It's not the end. In my generation, your generation with me, World War I, World War II, we heard about it in the past. Vietnam War, Korean War, Gulf War, wars galore, ever, which way, future wars with China, blah, it's wars and rumors of wars. He said that's not the end. That's not the sign of the end. That that They have to take place, and they will take place. Don't let that mislead you. Don't fall prey to just because your eyes see some ominous things out there. Let's pay attention to what the prophecy is. Let's pay attention to what he really says. Verse 7, For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and in various places will be famines and earthquakes. We got them all. But these are merely beginning of birth pangs these are things that have to precede what is coming to the end of the age guys at this point i think it's safe to say we have definitely seen this but it's not the end yet so what's the sign of the end that he's really talking about he says verse 9 then they will deliver you to tribulation what they will deliver you to the tribulation Wait a minute, I thought there was supposed to be a rapture. I thought we were going to be out of here. He's saying, get ready for the tribulation. The tribulation's coming. And he continues on to say, and they will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. And at that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will rise and will mislead many. Wow, we got that. And by the way, Christians are being persecuted all over the world. He says, verse 12, because lawlessness has increased and most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. It doesn't say the one who gets raptured will be saved. It says the one who endures to the end will be saved. The rapture, the pre-trib rapture, you're not getting saved by it, friends. There is no such thing. It's the product of people who are misleading you. The Messiah is not talking about the rapture. In fact, let him go on further. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Then the end will come. Hey, I thought when the church got raptured, that was the end of the Great Commission. I thought that, you know, we uh, all the preachings have been done, whoever's gonna get saved to of that, we, it's not gonna be because of the gospel and all that. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about, we're gonna be preaching the gospel right up to the end. We're gonna be leading people to the Lord right up to the end of this thing. Now, the very next statement is going to explain what really is going to happen in other words what's the real sign of the age let me look at verse 15 and it says this therefore when you see the pre-tribulation rapture that's not what it says what well well isn't that what everybody is telling us is supposed to happen all this other stuff leads up to the point we get ready for the tribulation and we get raptured right no that's not what he said here's what he said Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. What? He's referring to a prophecy that Daniel gave? Well, let's go back to Daniel chapter nine, where that prophecy is all about the abomination of desolation in Daniel chapter 12. You won't find a word in there about the rapture. What you're gonna find is a scripture that talks about what will be happening with Israel and to the whole world. It says there's going to be an altar on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. It'll be doing the daily sacrifice. Now, as we speak at this moment, we don't have that yet. But very soon, brethren, we're going to see the Jews put an altar up on the Temple Mount. And it says that when that altar goes up there and it's doing that, there's a day coming when they're going to stop the altar service. The day that takes place is the start, according to Yeshua, of the great tribulation. Let me read a little bit further what he had to say. Verse 21, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Let me read it to you again, the logic. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, for then there will be great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now. Nowhere in there did he say there's a rapture before that. He said that's the sign of the end of the age. That's the sign of his coming. He follows up that conversation by talking about what happens after that tribulation. And that tribulation, by the way, is three and a half years. And he says in if you follow down to verse 29 where he's still talking about the great tribulation will take place he says this verse 29 but immediately after the tribulation of those days the sun will be darkened the moon will not give its light the stars will fall from the sky the powers of heaven will be shaken And then the Son of Man will appear in the sky, then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Now, this event happens after the tribulation of those days. This happens three and a half years after the abomination of desolation. You know, have you noticed they're using the same language, the guys that teach the pre-trib? Don't they say, hey, he comes in the clouds, and then we get raptured with him in the clouds? You remember the pre-trib rapture? When does he come in the clouds? He comes in the days immediately after the tribulation. That's what it says right here. Yeshua says that. Verse 31, And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together, his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. By the way, the elect is the chosen people. It's the one elected by God. Every believer has been chosen by God. And he's going to call every believer from all over the world about the time that he's coming back. And he's even, the other prophecies tells us, he's going to even call the ones that are asleep in the grave going to resurrect all of them, going to get all the ones that were up in heaven with him already. He's going to get in paradise. He's going to get the ones that are in the grave. He's going to get us who are still alive. He's going to gather us all up. When is this great gathering supposed to take place? According to Yeshua, it's immediately after the days of the tribulation. That's the Feast of Trumpets. When we keep the Feast of Trumpets, let me tell you what it is. It's Yom Teruah. It's the day of blowing of trumpets. He gave us a feast so we blow those shofars i want everybody to hear the sound of the shofars i want you to hear because that's the sound you're going to hear after i come back and i gather you all up that's the sound you want to listen to that's the one you're going to hear god's even given us a training program on to recognize what trumpet so we can hear it because that's the plan now let me go just a step further with this because I know there are some of my brethren who think the church is still separate from Israel and they think that God's got a different plan for the church. It's okay what God's got planned for Israel, but God has a different plan for the church. Not true. So, let's go to the book of Revelation since they're going to claim that the church is not present when this is. So, Let's talk about that for a moment. The very first verse of the book of Revelation in chapter 1 is not talking to churchmen. The first verse says, the revelation of Yeshua the Messiah, which God gave to show to his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. This is not a book about the church, as you guys think. This is a book that's been written into time, and there's a time coming when there's bond servants, and that would be the remnant of Israel that has followed the law of the bond servant, and they love the Lord, and they're not going out as free men anymore. They love the Lord. They're bound to him and call him master. They're bond servants of Yeshua. This book has been written to those believers who have followed the law of the bond servant in the Torah believers who are keeping the Torah. By the way, later on in this book, it says the believers that are in here, they're the ones who have the testimony that Yeshua is the Messiah and keep his commandments. That's not the common testimony of a churchman today. The churchman is called, he believes in the Messiah and he believes in the church. But this book is talking about a group of people That believe in the Messiah and keep his commandments. Chapters 2 and 3 are seven letters, quote, to the churches. John, in writing this book, lists off the names of seven particular churches that is in the Asia Minor area, which was where his ministry was. To tell you the truth, the reason why those names are put there is for an alliteration. In other words, he, had, he needed to put a sequence together to describe, and he describes issues that are happening in those communities. And you can call them churches if you want, but they're all part of Israel. Every one of those groups is part of Israel, and the apostles from Israel are going out ministering to them. And he proceeds to write individual letters to them. And I want you to, I'm gonna give you a summary review of these letters. First of all, he's calling for them to make some corrections. This is an end-time message to a bunch of believers scattered around the world to get ready for the great tribulation, to get ready for the events that will be the sign of the end of the ages. He's giving them exhortation and corrections they need to make to get ready for what's going to happen. The first one he's got is to the, quote, church of Ephesus. And he tells them that they've lost their first love. They don't have the zeal for the Lord anymore. They get it one time, but they don't have it anymore. And he says, look, if you're a believer and you're in the end times, that zeal you had for the Lord, you better get it back again. You're going to need that kind of zeal to go through what we're going on. By the way, if you don't correct this, he really threatens them. He says, oh my goodness, he says, I'm going to take your lampstand away from you. Hmm. Lampstand. Why would that be anything harmful to a church? I've got some lampstands over here, you know, that he was referring to. There's seven candelabra menorahs, you know, the menorah that's used for Israel. Churches don't have those things in there. If you go into a church, you're going to see crosses, you'll see other different things. You're not going to see a temple menorah. So why is he threatening this group of believers if you don't get this correct? I'm going to take your lampstand away from you. That lampstand is a recognition of the seven spirits of God being with you, the light of the Lord being with you. Well, that would be very threatening to somebody who believes in the God of Israel. That would be very threatening. But it's not threatening to a church at all, is it? Or churchmen so why are they claiming this as a message to the church churches don't have lap stands but assemblies that are called churches that are assemblies that are called the remnant of Israel that's a very important issue let's look at the next message to the church of Smyrna you know what he says there he says I know about certain Jewish communities that are speaking against you. What? Well, that would only be Messianic Jews that would have the hassle with other unbelieving Jews. And by the way, in the Messianic moment, that we do have that. Judaism doesn't like Messianic Jews. They come accusing us all the time he says, that's the issue, but that's not the issue that a church has. Baptist churches don't have Jewish synagogue coming in and coming against them. And it says being about being cast into prison and martyrdom, what? He's saying some of the believers in that church will be cast in prisons and go into martyrdom. Wait a minute. I thought we were supposed to get raptured. None of this bad stuff is supposed to happen to us in the church. We get raptured out. Why is God suggesting there's a possibility of real harm coming to us? How about the teaching of Pergamum, the next one? He goes in there some of you have fallen prey to the teaching of Balaam. Balaam Balaam, that's Old Testament stuff. That's way back in the Torah. That was when Balaam and Balak came in the Midianite Kings, and there was a big hassle, and Israel was judged for falling prey to the teaching of Balaam and so forth. he said, that's Israel stuff. That's the stuff that happened to Israel. That didn't happen to the New, quote, New Testament church. And that's not going to be happening in the New Testament church. You know what the teaching of Balaam is? Don't listen to the teaching of Moses. Well, wait a minute, I know a lot of churches, that's exactly what they teach. But we messianic assemblies, we're not supposed to listen to that anymore. Messianics are taught, don't listen to a teacher who tells you, ignore what Moses has said. That's the issue for messianics. How about trier Jezebel, leading bond servants astray? And then he goes, if you don't get this corrected, you will be cast into the great tribulation." Now, if I'm a churchman that believes in the pre-tribulation raptured, the Messiah just got through warning me and says, you're not going to get raptured. You know what? You're right. (laughs) You're not going to get raptured. We're all going to the great tribulation, but there's two ways you can go to the great tribulation. You can go to it prepared, looking for God's deliverance, escaping and surviving to the end, as he says, or you can be devoid of all that stuff and you'll be subject to whatever the great tribulation has. He's saying, you're all going to the great tribulation. If you don't get this corrected, you'll be subject to the great tribulation. You won't be part of my deliverance. How about the church of Sardis? He says, hey, I'm coming like a thief in the night. Well, that's a very famous Hebrew idiom. Five times in the New Testament, we hear this statement, my coming to you will be like a thief in the night. That's an expression that comes from the temple service. Let me explain. You see, at night when they would close the temple down, the high priest would leave a priest stationed in the temple to maintain the evening fire on the altar to keep it burning. And he was there to watch all night make sure the fire stays on the altar and the evening sacrifice is totally consumed. But then the next day in the morning, before the dawn, early in the morning, while it's still dark, the high priest's duty was to return to the temple. And the way he would come into the temple, he would come in stealthily, quiet, like a thief in the night. And he would go in, and his job was to check the status of the altar first thing. Is there a fire on the altar? Is the altar operating? If he saw that the fire had gone way down and needed to be reworked, he was one authorized to do it. But he also knew that priest he had stationed in the temple had fallen asleep. And he would go looking for that priest. But first, he would get his fire pan and get some fire off the altar, he'd get the coals off the altar. And he would go looking for the priest. When he found the sleeping priest, he would take those coals and he put them to the bottom of his priestly garments. Now, these priestly garments were linen garments, they were not OSHA approved fire retardant garments. They would light his garments on fire. He would wake up, his clothes are on fire. Of course, he would be stripping off his clothes to get away from the fire. He would end up going home naked with no clothes as a result, wounded by the fire. That was the punishment for the priest who didn't keep that fire on the altar. Yeshua uses that Hebrew idiom and he says, that's going to be my coming. I'm going to return like the high priest who comes in like a thief in the night. I'm going to be looking to all of you as to whether or not you're asleep or whether you're paying attention. Because you know, you know Yeshua built an altar in here and a temple in here. And by the way, there's a fire on the altar in here. The evening sacrifice, the sacrifice of Yeshua is being presented on the altar for us. And if we're falling asleep and walking away from the faith and not paying attention and being very cavalier about our faith, the fire is going to minimize and go down and down. And when he returns, he's going to check the altar. And by the way, if he's not satisfied with the fire that's on the altar, he's going to light one again. And you're not going to like the way he lights it. In fact, one of the exhortations of this is he says to us about his return, he says, I'm planning on coming like a thief in the night. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his garments. That's what Yeshua said to every one of us about his second coming. That's what he's referring to when he's talking to the church of Sardis. He's talking about something in the temple. By the way, do temple procedures have anything to do with the church? Nothing. So that's an idle threat. You know, the temple isn't anymore, that whole thing, that's not anymore. You know, why are we even considering listening to that? No, but that's stuff for Israel. That's stuff that Israel would understand. So the Church of Philadelphia, again, he talks about the synagogue of Satan, and he says a very interesting thing. He says, I will make them come bow down to you to know that I have loved you. That's a quote from Isaiah 49. You know what it's talking about in Isaiah 49? It's talking about how the Jews, my Messianic Jews that are opposed to all of you House of Ephraim people that are coming into faith. And by the way, a whole bunch of you Gentiles, you think you're Gentiles. There's a good possibility you're part of the House of Ephraim and you just don't know. And they're opposed to you. They're against you. And it says, I will make them come bow down to know that I have loved you. I can tell you right now, believers of Yeshua, my Jewish brethren who have been unbelievers of them, they are going to bow down to every believer of Yeshua, and they're going to recognize that God loved us, because we have the testimony of the Messiah, the King of Israel. He says, as a result of that, we will be kept from the hour of testing, which is a reference to the Great Tribulation. See, God says, I'm going to protect you in the Great Tribulation. In fact, the way the destiny is explained, there will be those who escape, those who survive, and those who endure the Great Tribulation. That God is going to save his people in the midst of the Great Tribulation. Everybody in the Christian world thinks, well, if you go in the Great Tribulation, well, we're all going to die. Oh, woe is us. We're going to starve to death. We're going to die. We're going to be killed. That's another lie. God has promised deliverance to his people, even in the great tribulation. Why aren't we talking about that? Why aren't we talking about God's great deliverance he's promised to us in the prophecies? Well, if you're part of Israel, then that's what you look for, but if you're the church, you ignore all that. That's not the scenario for you, right? You're not gonna be in the great tribulation. You're gonna be raptured out of here. You don't need deliverance from the great tribulation except that to the church of Philadelphia, he says, I'm going to keep you. I'm going to save you from the hour of testing. I'm going to keep you. I'm going to deliver you in the great tribulation. Well, why would he make a promise to do that if you're not going to be there? Well, the reason why he's making the promise there is because you are going to be there and you want him to do that. The last church is Laodicea. We call them the lukewarm church those are the folks who say, I don't need anything. I already have everything I need. Like one man said to me, says, hey, regardless, I don't need any of that other stuff in the Bible. I have Jesus. That's it. I just focus in on Jesus. I got Jesus. That's it. We're done. You don't have to tell me anything else. I don't need to read the book of Revelation. I don't need to know these other prophecies. I don't need to know all this stuff, Monty, you've been talking about how we're part of the commonwealth of Israel and we're part of what's going to be happening with Israel. Don't tell me all that stuff. I have Jesus. That's all I need. And I'm going to ignore everything else and act like a fool. That guy is referred to as Leodicea. You know what God says he's going to do with you? He's going to vomit you out of his mouth. He's going to spit you out. I don't know about you, but I don't like I don't think that's a good idea that the Messiah would spit you out of his mouth. That sounds very negative to me. So let me do something kind of interesting for you in a crash one minute. Let me give you a quick scenario of what's really gonna happen. And this is gonna come at you like a machine gun. You know, that altar is gonna get shut down. The image of the Antichrist is gonna get set up. The two witnesses will appear. The Passover will be happening shortly after that. That will be the start of the greater exodus. And you're gonna be leaving and going into the camps of the righteousness. The 144,000 are going to be sealed with you. The anti-Messiah will come to power. The world will break out in war, famine, disease, and massive death. And God's going to deliver his people. And in the final days, there will be a great darkness that will come over the earth. The sky will scroll back. We'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. There'll be a resurrection and a rapture. And we'll hear the trumpet. The day of the Lord will hit, and he judges his enemies. And finally, Yeshua will touch down on the Mount of Olives, and we'll be there to rejoice with him and keep the Feast of Tabernacles. That's what the prophecy says is going to happen. Now, at this point, you can make a decision to either get on board with his plan, or you can come up with your own plan and suffer the consequences accordingly. This is probably, here in this present day, is probably one of the greatest differences between Messianic teaching and the teaching you've been given for Christians. Can I say something kind of simple to you? The Great Tribulation is going to be coming very shortly. Do you want to live or not? Do you want to wait for the rapture and be disappointed when it doesn't happen and all of a sudden the Great Tribulation comes upon you? Or would you like to get ready for the Great Tribulation, follow the Messiah's counsel, and get ready to join the camp of the righteous and be delivered by the Lord in those days and be saved? I would recommend that you would choose the Lord. So that's our teaching for this week. We'll have our final teaching for Messianic teachings for Christians in our next episode. I'll see you then. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you everyone who listens to our podcast here at Line of Land Ministries. I want to remind you, you can get our podcast through Apple Podcasts, through Spotify, and wherever you'd like to download your podcast. Thank you for being a part of our program and listening to what we have to say.